Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be continuing the story of Lauren McCluskey in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you haven't heard part one, you might want to go check it out and meet us right back here. Let's get right to it. Just a quick recap, Lauren McCluskey was a student at the University of Utah. In September of 2018, she met a guy and he swept her off her feet. But within a week of their relationship, he became controlling and within two months was all out stalking and extorting Lauren. Not to mention he lied to her about everything and was actually a freaking sex offender with a record. And she reported all this to campus police and even tried reporting everything to Salt Lake City Police. On the morning of October 22nd, 2018, Lauren got that text that we talked about in last week's episode from someone claiming to be the deputy chief of campus police, and they were asking her to go to the police station. She thought it was another attempt by Melvin Rowland to lure her somewhere. So she reported it to Utah University Campus Police and went on about her day. Around 8.20 p.m., class was over. She called her mom, as she often did, and they were just chatting about their days. Lauren was upbeat and happy. That was until her mother heard Lauren say, no, 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 screams, and then silence. A few moments later, that other student picked up Lauren's phone and told her mother that Lauren's things were all right there on the ground, but there was no sign of Lauren. Lauren's father called campus police. They responded and found Lauren's belongings in just about 10 minutes. But where was Lauren? More officers were dispatched and a search was kicked off. It didn't take long before a car in the dorm parking lot was spotted with a bag of ammunition on the roof. I mean, if ever there was a red flag. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, at 9.55 p.m., Lauren McCluskey's body was found in the back seat of that car. She had been shot seven times in the chest, head, and shoulder. Lauren was gone, ripped away from those who loved her most. Moments after this horrifying discovery, a secure-in-place alert was sent campus-wide, informing students that a shooting had taken place, and just a few minutes later, the alert was updated with information about the suspect. Melvin Rowland. Multiple updates were sent out for approximately two hours before the secure in place was lifted, after university police determined through surveillance video that Rowland was no longer on campus and he had left on a train. Officers did respond to the train station that Rowland was seen on video leaving from, and while they didn't find Rowland, they found a single latex glove in the trash can. They attempted to ping Roland's phone but couldn't get a location, as he likely had it off, according to Salt Lake Tribune. I mean, all of a sudden, everybody's on their game. And just where did Melvin Roland hop a train to? Well, let me tell you. 
After he shot Lauren multiple times, fled the scene just moments later, hopped on that train, he then went on a date with another woman. Oh yeah, you heard me right. This piece of shit went to dinner with another woman he met on a dating site. Roland called this other woman and asked her to pick him up at one of those train stations. They went to dinner, went for a nice drive out by the state capitol. He then went to her home and took a freaking shower. She noticed that Roland kept looking over her shoulder at her phone as she kept getting those campus alerts since she lived nearby. After they hung out for a bit, she dropped him off at a coffee shop. She then came home, kicked off her heels, and was probably on her way to run a bubble bath and process this weird-ass first date where the dude gets picked up and dropped off not anywhere near a home and then scrubbed his dirty ass in her shower. She flipped on the TV and saw his face all over the freaking news. Can you even imagine the horror? It all made sense why he was looking over his shoulder, why he wanted to take a shower. But she must have been just a little bit confused because although the man pictured on the news was the man she had just been on a date with, he had told her his name was Apollo Santos, not Melvin Rowland. But she was sure that man was him, the one she had just been on a date with. So she called police. Apollo? Really? Can you say grandiose? Ladies, if you're looking for love online, please be careful. You never know who you're actually talking to because there's no accountability. This woman wasn't talking to Apollo the Great. She was talking to Melvin the Murderer. Thanks to the tip by this woman who had literally just went on a date with a murderer, Salt Lake City Police closed in on Roland, who wasn't very far from that coffee shop. After a short foot pursuit, Roland entered Trinity AME Church, and as police walked into the church doors and were about to apprehend Melvin Roland for what he had just done, Roland turned the gun around and fatally shot himself. All this according to the Salt Lake Tribune. He made sure he controlled Lauren's story from the beginning all the way to the very end. Melvin Rowland would never have to stand trial, never have to face a jury of his peers, never in this life have to answer for what he had just done to the beautiful Lauren McCluskey. He not only took Lauren's life, he stole her chance at true justice. But what's even more tragic are the multiple opportunities missed to protect Lauren McCluskey and likely save her life. She had done everything right. She had reached out for help. She had tried to escape this relationship. She did everything in her power to protect herself, and this system failed her miserably. And those failures began even before that dirtbag ever had a chance to lay eyes on Lauren. Remember those 2004 convictions for attempted forcible sexual abuse and enticing a minor over the internet and that decade he spent in prison? Well, while in prison, Roland hadn't exactly been a model prisoner. In 2006, he manipulated a jail employee to gain access to the internet, according to police documents. In 2009, he was discharged from a program at the Utah State Prison for manipulating and lying. 
and he was caught writing a former female inmate and attempting to get her to wear provocative clothing across the street so he could catch a little peek. Nevertheless, after serving eight years in July of 2012, Roland was paroled, but he wouldn't stay free for long. Four violations in just two months of being back on the street. So in September of 2012, he was locked up again. And just what were those four violations? He failed to allow a parole officer to conduct a search, failed to participate in ex-offender therapy, failed to comply with Utah sex offender registration requirements. Oh yeah, and he had porn in his possession. And as you can tell, we're off to a great start. Officials recommended he spend a year in prison before being considered for parole again, and added a stipulation to his parole agreement should he ever get another one. He was to have no access to internet, social networking, or chat rooms. After spending roughly a year in prison on September 3, 2013, Roland was paroled yet again. That time, he made it two years before his parole officer sought a warrant to get him placed back in jail. And that time? Oh snap, here we go. On Halloween Day 2015, Roland was involved in a little fender bender when his car ran into the back of another car. He promptly reversed the car, almost crashed into an Einstein bagel store, and when a good Samaritan stopped to check on Roland, he hopped into the passenger seat of this man's car and told him he needed to get out of there. The good Samaritan complied because he felt threatened by Roland's aggressive behavior and he dropped him off near his address. And then Roland felt it necessary to take things a step further and call his insurance company and report that his car had been stolen. He later called his parole agent and informed him that his car was involved in a hit and run. But that's all he was going to say. And if his parole agent had more questions, he could speak with his lawyer. Roland was facing allegations of kidnapping, fraud, damaged property, and a traffic hit and run. However, the parole board reviewed the allegations and denied the request for Roland to be placed back in prison, according to police documents. He was also a suspect in a couple different burglaries where females' apartments were broken into in 2015, but it could never be proven that he was the one who had done it. One of the females reported that she was afraid of her boyfriend, Melvin Rowland, but none of this was reported to his parole agent. Detective Ungerich with the Salt Lake City Police Department spoke with the Salt Lake Tribune and said, Detectives probably wouldn't have known Roland was on parole unless someone told them or they looked it up. And even if they did know, it would be at the detective's discretion whether to report to the parole agent. Actual quote, Generally speaking, we don't just send stuff off to the parole agency. Generally speaking, maybe you should. In February of 2016, Roland violated again when during a field visit, the parole agent discovered he had access to internet social networking sites, he had failed to participate in sex offender therapy, and had, quote, in his possession material that acts as a sexual stimulus for his deviancy, not to mention the fact that he literally took off in the middle of this visit, so absconding from parole supervision was added to that lengthy list of violations. We're on a roll here. 
A warrant was issued for Roland to return back to prison, and when the heat was turned up, he eventually turned himself into his parole agent on February 17, 2016. And according to the parole violation report, Roland told his agent that he would find pornography and chat rooms he used to hook up with women on his computers and that the reason that he ran was because he knew he was going back to prison and wanted to get his affairs in order. Roland had decided he was tired of parole and he just wanted to finish out his time in prison because he didn't want someone his own age telling him what to do. He also informed his agent that he was no longer going to do parole anymore and he would act very aggressively if another parole agent came to his house again. And so the agent apologized for the inconvenience, took off the cuffs, and let Mr. Roland know he'd no longer be bothering him since he just didn't want to do parole anymore. And that last story was complete bullshit because as you know, that's not how this works. Not how any of this works. Instead, he was taken back to the Utah State Prison. But at his parole violation hearing, Roland's attorney stated that he and Roland had a discussion the week prior when they discovered that the parole board had recommended he not be granted another chance at parole and simply serve out the rest of his sentence. And in this discussion, Roland said he was just really mad at the time he made those statements about not wanting to do parole anymore. And when it came to that part about him becoming violent, if another agent were to come out, quote, Roland's comments could be taken with a grain of salt, maybe as an empty threat. Yeah, if he were my client, I'd probably say the same thing. But the board hearing officer wasn't having any of that. And she stated that she believed Roland demonstrated a pattern and a cycle of manipulative behavior. She listed all of the offenses both while in prison and the violations while out on parole previously. Further adding that while he had completed treatment in 2012, he had demonstrated predatory behavior on the internet while at the CCC and after release, and it had been discovered that again he was accessing the internet and seeking sexual partners, even admitting to hooking up with an unknown number of them. She concluded by saying she felt Roland was a public safety issue and his parole was revoked again and he returned to prison for two years. But in April of 2018, he was up for parole yet again. He had completed required therapy. He told the board that he was living a double life last time by seeking attention from females. He had squandered 14 years of his life, being selfish with his criminal thinking, and he was ready to do things right this time. Blah, blah, blah. Spoiler alert. This was all a crock of horseshit. But nevertheless, on April 17, 2018, Roland was paroled for the third time. And he's a good boy for two whole months before his first violation. On May 29, 2018, during a parole visit, his agent discovered messages between Roland and a female he was attempting to date, who had a five-year-old daughter. And that violated his conditions of release. It was also found that Roland was on a dating site. Another violation. But he claimed he didn't know a dating site was social media. I bet he has some oceanfront property out there in Arizona, too. 
In July of 2018, his counselor had reported to his parole agent that he wasn't exactly doing all of his homework. Roland had told his agent he didn't have a good excuse. He just didn't do it. In August of 2018, Roland was smoking weed and he was given a verbal warning. Again, in August, he was a no-show at a therapy session because he just didn't feel like going. All this according to police documents. It seems this guy can violate as many times as he damn well pleases and he'll get a slap on the wrist. But they'll let him right on back out. What the hell, Utah? And the failures in Lauren's case didn't stop there. Lauren called and reported absolutely everything to campus police. And when that didn't work, she called Salt Lake City Police. And no one did a damn thing to help her. Lauren was murdered in cold blood before the detective assigned to her case even came back to her desk and picked up the case file. And the campus police officers that ran Melvin Rowland's name that day and said he was, quote, a good guy with a traffic ticket? Well, the campus police have all sorts of excuses for that. According to police documents, a dispatcher on training at the university access Roland's OTRAC record, which is the record system used by the Department of Corrections to show an offender's probation or parole status, among other things. Well, he didn't notice a parole status within the record. I mean, isn't that what you're looking for when you access someone's OTRAC? Come on, man. And here's where it gets real confusing. Another system known as RMS, or Records Management Systems, was used by the officers and should pull up information, again, from OTRAC, but only if a specific identifier is used. Officers ran Roland's driver's license, but no information was generated because the specific identifier used when the information was put in the record was Roland's ID card. Had they ran his ID card, they would have known he was on parole. And if you're still confused, welcome to the club. And there was a third system, the Public Safety Alert Notification, or PSAN, which generates a notification that is sent to DOC whenever an identifier associated with an offender is ran. These notifications are logged into the OTRAC system. They can be anything from police contact to employment background checks. Although parole agents and personnel have access to this log of notifications, they quote, don't have the manpower to process and follow up on the quantity of notifications that are logged. But note that they do follow up on any arrests or citations, since these generate desktop alerts or emails. They follow up on those. I mean, why not let it escalate to the point of arrest before we check on our parolees, because that makes so much sense. The University of Utah Campus Police not only failed Lauren with their lackadaisical approach, she was re-victimized at the hands of police officers. When Roland had extorted Lauren with those compromising photos, she had sent the photos to an officer with campus police, you know, to build her case. Salt Lake Tribune reported that this officer inappropriately downloaded, shared, and bragged about the photos with coworkers. Campus police investigated and found that the photographs of Lauren 
were shown to a small number of officers who inappropriately commented on the photos before, during, or immediately after a shift change briefing, according to the University of Utah's chief of police, Rodney Chapman, as reported by Time.com. This is heartbreaking. Police officers are supposed to serve and protect, not re-victimize and neglect. This officer had already left campus police and was working at another agency, but after the report detailing the misconduct was released, students at the University of Utah protested and filed a petition on Change.org calling for this officer to be fired. And thankfully, he was. The gun. How did Melvin Rowland obtain a gun as a convicted felon? Well, it was borrowed. Roland's friend and co-worker from the club, Nathan Vogel, had allowed Roland to borrow his 40 caliber pistol in exchange for $400. And as anything with Roland is, even this story is nuts. Of course, Vogel didn't know Roland as Roland. Yet another alias is revealed. This time, Melvin Roland was going by the name Sean Matthews. And the first time Roland borrowed the gun, Vogel had left the gun at a local hotel along with some weed for Melvin Roland to pick up. But maybe Roland couldn't find a ride because it was found by a maid cleaning the room. And the hotel called Nathan Vogel to come pick up the weapon. So he did. And apparently he didn't find that situation sketch because he allowed Roland to borrow the gun a second time. Vogel reported to officers that he was manipulated into a second chance and that Roland had told him that he wanted to borrow the gun to teach his girlfriend how to shoot and that the night of Lauren's murder was the night he was supposed to return the gun. Vogel and a female friend of his, Sarah Lady, were both indicted by a federal grand jury in connection for the straw purchase of the gun. Straw purchase meaning a person buys a gun for another person at their request. In this case, Lady had purchased the gun from an arms dealer for Vogel because he was worried he wouldn't pass the background check. Lady received a suspended sentence where she would be in a supervised program for 18 months, and if she completed successfully, the case would be dropped. It turned out she had only known Vogel for 11 days, which why in the hell you buying a gun for a dude you just met? She had no prior criminal record and was cooperative and forthcoming with information to police investigators. And as far as I can tell, Lady must have complied and the charges must have been dropped. Vogel pled guilty and was sentenced to three years of supervised release. It was revealed that right after he learned Lauren had been killed, he himself contacted university police and told them about how Roland had gotten the gun from him, all this according to thespectrum.com. The car Roland drove to the campus the night he murdered Lauren, the car Lauren's body was found in, also borrowed from a friend. Other friends of Roland's reported that just prior to Lauren's murder, Roland had made some shocking admissions, according to the Salt Lake Tribune. I messed up, Roland told his friend. He then further explained how he had asked a woman to send him $1,000 or he would release compromising photos of her. He also stated that he believed she had gone to the police and he feared he would be sent back to prison. 
Another friend said just days prior to Lauren's murder, Roland said he was afraid of getting caught for blackmail. He told another friend he was considering whether or not he should resign from his job. He was talking about leaving money behind for his son and how he'd been to prison before and didn't want to go back to another friend. Former girlfriends reported Roland was a master manipulator who had lied to them about his name, age, background, even claiming to have served in Afghanistan and being a basketball star for University of Utah, much of the same bullshit he had told Lauren. Once his apartment was searched, investigators discovered a double pistol magazine pouch, several email accounts on his computer that would self-destruct anything sent from them, and they were able to tie him to several spoofed phone numbers. It also appeared he had borrowed a co-worker's Venmo account in order to extort Lauren so it wouldn't trace back to him. And a search of Lauren's dorm, phone, and laptop revealed emails sent to Roland and calendar dates documenting the dates she'd contacted the police. Evidence was found that Roland had accessed Lauren's computer and was able to manipulate the webcam, according to Salt Lake Tribune. The abuse, stalking, and murder of Lauren McCluskey was cold and it was calculated. Lauren did everything right. She documented everything. She reported everything. She reached out for help. She tried to escape this relationship. This system failed her miserably on so many levels. And the scary thing is, Lauren isn't alone. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, college-aged women between the ages of 16 and 24 had the highest per capita rate of intimate partner violence. A whopping 21% of college students report having experienced dating violence by a current partner, and 32% of college students report experiencing dating violence by a previous partner. We have to do better. We have to protect the millions of college students on campus throughout the United States and abroad. We just have to. And Lauren McCluskey's parents have fought to do just that. In 2020, Lauren's parents filed a lawsuit against the University of Utah, contending that the university and campus police failed to take action when Lauren repeatedly reached out for help. And further, that that campus police officer had re-victimized Lauren by sharing those photos with other officers who were not even involved in Lauren's case. A report which was actually commissioned by the university identified dozens of ways it could have better responded to Lauren's cries for help and done so much more to protect her. You don't say. Ruth Watkins, president of the university, made a statement. The university acknowledges and deeply regrets that it did not handle Lauren's case as it should have and that, at the time, its employees failed to fully understand and respond appropriately to Lauren's situation. As a result, we failed Lauren and her family, according to the New York Times. So it comes as no surprise that a settlement in the amount of $13.5 million was reached between the McCluskey family and the University of Utah. And the university went a step further. 
The university currently has plans to develop an indoor practice facility, which will include an indoor track in honor of Lauren. The McCluskey Center for Violence Prevention was also founded by the University of Utah to support sexual relationship violence prevention research and educational programs, according to utah.edu. Donations for the indoor track in Lauren's honor and the McCluskey Center for Violence Prevention can be made at giving.utah.edu. With the proceeds from the settlement, Lauren's parents continued her legacy in a huge way. The Lauren McCluskey Foundation. Its mission, according to their website, is to support and honor Lauren's legacy by supporting charitable work in the following areas. Campus safety, by funding research and education programs to keep our daughters safe. Amateur athletics, financial assistance for student and youth track and field athletes. Animal welfare, support for animal shelters and other programs. Y'all remember Lauren used to socialize cats, right? The Lauren McCluskey Race for Campus Safety is held annually. This year's run will be held on October 2nd, 2021. According to KSL.com, Lauren's mother, Jill, developed Lauren's promise in 2019. The promise is simple, but oh so crucial. I will listen and believe you if someone is threatening you. That's it. That's the promise. This is a vow that educators can take and share with their students to let them know that they're ready to listen and help if they are in a dangerous situation. Links to school-specific crisis resources are included, and students are encouraged to call 911 if they are in immediate danger. Stickers can be obtained by professors and educators or anyone who wants to help for free at laurenmccluskey.org. Jill's dream is that the stickers are worn by teachers, displayed in classrooms, and even as bumper stickers because she wants students to know that they'll be heard and believed. Again, according to KSL.com, Lauren was only 21 years old when her life was cut short. But what a legacy and a tribute to such a bright and beautiful soul. Lauren McCluskey never had an unkind word to say about anyone. She loved being with friends and was a great dancer. She had a strong singing voice, loved karaoke, and even did stand-up comedy. She was a deep, independent thinker with an interest in philosophy and a strong sense of right and wrong. Lauren McCluskey will never be forgotten. There's a Bible verse next to her photo at the Lauren McCluskey Foundation website. It's John 1.5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. For more information, photos, and links to donate to the McCluskey Foundation, Follow me on Facebook at least of these or on Instagram at least underscore of these new episodes drop every Thursday. So don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.